I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. This television personality, entrepreneur, uh, quote-unquote philanthropist, uh, was married to a very famous and very tall basketball player. And she also is the executive producer of the reality TV series Basketball Wives. Shaquille O'Neal? That's Shaquille. <laughs> I said the wife of. Oh, the wife of. Um, Shawnee O'Neal. And then it's weird. When you said married to basketball player, I thought that it was a guy married to a female basketball player. And I was like, I don't know any female mm-mm, basketball player. Mm-mm. All right. That's, that's uh, the patriarchy has brainwashed it. Yeah. I'm JJ. I'm Shayna. And welcome, y'all. Thanks for coming back. Yes. Can we dive? Let's dive, girl. Okay. <laughs> uh, so first up today. Talk about conflicting. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Tyler Perry and his opening of a new studio, um, his own studio. Uh, that is uh, 333 acres, ha- has 12 sound stages, um, is worth about $300 million. Um, he's the first African-American to do so. And he had uh, the official opening gala last week. Um, with all the blacks. With all the blacks. He had Oprah and Denzel. Even and Beyonce. Abrams and Beyonce and Ava DuVernay. Um, and it was a big celebrated event on social media yeah and it looked really nice and did you read oh yeah like that you could put a bunch of other people's studios inside of his and yeah. still have extra yeah. room. i love yeah, that like warner brothers yeah. paramount disney and disney's hollywood studios and all still have acres black ass atlanta studio look. yeah I, love it. I did like that um but i have to confess that <laughs> the first thing not the Okay, maybe not the first. My first thought was, this is awesome. This is black ownership. 100%. Like like what we preach about on here, about black people owning our shit, you know, to the T. Mm -hmm. Um, My second thought was, okay, all these, like, smart, successful, like, thinking black folks really just showing up to celebrate and ignore that this man is perpetuates horrible, horrible stereotypes about black life. Yeah. (laughs) Um... And so yeah, so I I was just a tad conflicted, and I don't know what do what do you think? Because I think that the his achievement with the studio was definitely worth praising, and it sends a very important message about you know the impact that black folks can make when we set out to own our things mm-hmm. and um and the uh the wealth generation that can come from that, not just on our part, but you know Tyler Perry employs a lot of like actors and now like other black filmmakers can use his studios um now that's where i'm hoping the treasures will come yes i hope that they can use his studios and he is hands off right because i don't know if tyler this is my thing i don't know if tyler perry has the depth Mm -hmm. to give us more than what he's given us Hmm. i don't not everybody has like a mind that can like go from here to there right? right and so what my hope is is that if Tyler Perry himself cannot make the content match the hustle, mm. then I hope that he funds other people who can. Right. Like, that's what I hold him to task for is mm-hmm. like, if what you got is Medea and like black women getting AIDS from gay black men, <laughs> then like, 
then and le- then let then somebody, let somebody else, else create exactly because you've given you us handled the back end i also want to mention that the lot was a former confederate army base which is amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> um and also he wants to use part of the space um as a shelter for uh trafficked girls and boys uh and battered women that's he says cool um so yeah that's congrats to Tyler Perry Definitely, congrats. I think it's get, a... Get you, get you like a chief content officer. 100%. Or something like yes, that. Yes, that's yeah. not you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also doesn't work at BET. We're rooting for you, TP. <laughs> Come on, Tyler. Don't let us down. Um, so this week in fashion world, Kirby Jean Raymond and his call out of business of fashion. Mm-hmm. So I stand for him. He stays calling folks out. Listen. Listen I, and I, I love... <laughs> It. He wrote a, he so he called I them out. Get tired of he it. called them out on Medium. He wrote like a seven minute read article. And he says at one point of it, which I feel like is a mantra, like you giving me checks is not gonna stop me from checking you. Hmm. Like I'll take both, but like you're not gonna quiet me down. And Did he say that? Yes. You giving me checks is not gonna stop me from checking yes. you. Yes. Wow. That's it. I'm going to, of course, link it. So what happened is he was chosen to be... So every year, Business of Fashion does the Business of Fashion 500, Mm -hmm. where they pick 500 names in fashion that are, like, making a change. And Business of Fashion is similar to, like, Women's Wear Daily, where it really talks about... It's a website. Yeah, Yeah. and it talks about fashion as a collective business Mm -hmm. and not just, like, oh, here's what's on runway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he was chosen... He shows up to the gala that they do every year, and they have a black gospel choir there. <laughs> but back up, so he had been supposed to be on the cover for the business of fashion for this for the art the. Uh, they the do launch. like yes, they mm-hmm. do multiple covers for this launch. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be one. He met with uh, their like editor in chief, told him all this stuff, and then later, then they call him back and say, actually, we decided to go another direction. So he already was like, okay, y'all on some shit. But then he shows up and there's just like a black choir there. And for what? Right? Like, what was the theme? Not black choirs. <laughs> the theme was like business. Of, it was like, a, I think it was like a 20s theme or it was like a gala. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you guys really did this so that you could say diversity and inclusion without actually doing any of the work. Yeah. So that's what he called them out on. It warmed my soul so much because I always appreciate the fact with his brand that he has really been outspoken and like not done a runway show when he didn't want to. And then when he did, he did it on his own terms in Brooklyn the way that he wanted to do it. He said all the words. Oh yeah, here's a quote. But me getting checks is not going to stop me from checking you. I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. I think your brand is exploitative. You prove that it's fueled by corporate interest and shitty business practices. I understand that you have to make money. We're all selling something, but dog, not your soul and not ours. He's great. I look forward to reading. Yes. Yes. All right. Politics. So it's official. Uh Uh-oh. Elizabeth Warren. um, You're a stan. I am. Mm, You're not a stan? I can't say I'm a stan. I will say that she... Uh, has presented the best case for why she should be president of all the Democratic pre- uh, candidates yeah. at this point. Anytime she says something about how her policies will affect and um, help support the black community, it's always like a level deeper than what I've heard politicians mm-hmm. say before. Mm-hmm. And that makes me excited. Right. It's like more, it's like about more than like employment and HBCU. Right. right. It's yeah. like, oh, she's talking about financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's talking about like, like, uh, the, like the gap presented from slavery. Yeah, and small yeah. business loans and things like that. And I'm like, oh, this this white lady owns something. Right. But that's not why she's in the news today. <laughs> um, I thought uh, we should talk about her on this episode because she apparently has uh, Facebook in her crosshairs officially. Um, so Facebook recently allowed... Uh, Trump to publish ads that falsely claim that like Biden um, 
offer a billion dollars to I'm not we don't I don't want I definitely don't want to get into impeachment bust down <laughs> this episode but she uh, uh, they allowed Trump to purchase ads on Facebook saying that Biden explicitly offered the Ukrainian government to like fire a prosecutor who was investigating his son um false it's been debunked many I mean times. Biden can barely get his words out like <laughs> get out of here but but she you know in in an effort to um, cause she, she knows that she's next, you know, like, fe- like a couple of weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg was also recorded inside Facebook saying that, um, you know, uh, uh, that Elizabeth, he basically alerted everybody that Elizabeth Warren, if she becomes president, wants to break up Facebook and like break up, you know, the Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram monopoly of social media. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so they can be like more tightly regulated. And so, Heaven forbid. Right. And so he's saying, you know, that if Warren gets elected president, you know, um, uh, she, she's going to try to threaten something like that. We're going to go to Matt and fight. And so literally that same week, Facebook changed its rules about misinformation on this platform and let Trump run this uh, this ad um, that basically is a lie. And so she she knows because of because apparently Mark Zuckerberg got beef with her <laughs> that she could be next like it, it could be trump now paying the next act could be him, about her him, about her and like spreading false news so what she did was she bought an ad saying uh that mark zuckerberg just supported pre- trump, president trump for for president like for and, and, and it for, ran and it ran but she said, I mean, she did say on like a few lines below it, uh-huh. this is a lie, <laughs> but it got your attention, right? Because this is the kind of thing yeah. that Mark Zuckerberg is allowing on the platform. And I thought that was... It's so scary how much Facebook controls us. Isn't it? To me, that uh, makes even more important the the need for people to be trained in spotting false uh false news and false ads on online right um which gets into digital literacy and you know what again what happened in 2016 with people believing everything they see online all the lies that um were uh told about uh hillary clinton um all the the fake headlines and you know shady uh french news sites and things like that um yeah how can we how can we prepare? Well, I think step one is to stop getting your news from Facebook. <laughs> I've had arguments with people in my family about this, that like your Facebook timeline, while I will be fair that I hear about things from there, mm-hmm. I also then take the next, like I, to me, you need three steps of verification, mm-hmm. like click on it, make sure it's not from 2010. If it is recent, <laughs> then like, Google, see who else is talking about it. If you only see them and the National Enquirer, it's probably not real. Don't take it for a face value. Exactly. And like, I've had literal arguments with aunties of mine. Everything you just listed, like, think about the average, like, working mom mm-hmm. you know who's scrolling facebook like she don't have time to do all that right a lot a lot of them don't yeah you know and so while I, me and you like we because I, I fuss at my folks too and like, i i don't ch- check facebook as much, as much as i used to but i definitely when i when i go on there i'm fussing at people for like you know downloading like, don't, yeah, don't post this posting th- i'm like mom stop sending me this right. this is <laughs> this is clearly spam they're trying to hack you but it's like you know she she didn't come up in the age that we came up, just right. like the, pe- the the kids below us know how to do things that we don't 100%. know. hundred um, percent. And they think we're so old. And it's... <laughs> My niece do. has started to ask me, did they have this when you were a kid? I'm like, just Ugh. shoot me then. Like, I'm still a kid. Yes. I'm like, she's like, did they do roller skating when you were a kid? I'm like, yes, Layla. No. <laughs> <laughs> we skated on rocks. Yeah, I'm like, roller skates? What are those? Um, Yeah. It, it's I don't know it's it's shaping up to be scary very scary scenario for mm-hmm. me again yeah no it's very scary and I think my like how you feel about this is how I feel about um everything that's been wrapping up with the Botham Jean case mm-hmm. um I'm tired of saying his killer's name I feel like every headline is like connected to her instead of like this black life that was lost mm-hmm. and now we can add Joshua Brown who was the lead witness 
um, in the case who was mysteriously killed 10 yeah. days later. And Botham Jean was, uh, can what, what can we just say what happened again? Yeah, Botham yeah. Jean was the man in Dallas who was killed by an off-duty police officer in his own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says that she thought it was her house, even though <laughs> when you look at it, they're set up very differently. She broke down his door. And had to walk w- through the kitchen to the back where he was sitting eating ice cream and killed him yep. when he was either sitting or laying down. Yeah. He was. It's not like he was charging her. Even if he was charging her, you were in his house. Mm-hmm. It's wild <laughs> to me. It's wild to me. And then uh, she got 10 years, will most likely serve four to five mm-hmm. for murdering. I think he was 26. And tw- a 26-year-old engineer. And was- worship leader at his church. Mm. And then 10 days after the trial, his neighbor, who... Uh, testified Joshua Brown was mm-hmm. killed um, in the parking lot of his apartment complex. And speaking of fake news, <laughs> now they're saying that it was a botched drug deal. Right, because they, the killers drove all the way from Louisiana where, to Dallas. Where marijuana, marijuana. <laughs> marijuana is legal in Louisiana. It's not legal in Texas. So do you mean to tell me they drove from where marijuana it was, like was hours. legal? <laughs> or like even four to five hours right. to a state where marijuana was illegal to buy it from this man. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then of course, par for the course, it's like we could time this thing, right? Where all of a sudden now he has all this background connected to drugs and he's been in trouble with the law, but he was fine when y'all went, cause y'all had to do a background checks on him to testify. But mm-hmm. now all of a sudden we're hearing about all of this, but he was fine. When you thought he didn't have anything to say, but now you know he heard too much. Hmm. And you know what, what that also makes me think of is um, after the trial, uh, Botham Jean's uh, mom uh, talked about she accepted the verdict and the sentencing, but she also called out uh, a lot of the impropriety that was happening with the police force mm-hmm. and like the like I guess like hiding of text messages that she mm-hmm. has sent and, mm-hmm. and um, racist and, yeah and during during the case and everything and so yeah it it just there's a lot of haziness in the whole situation yeah and uh, they've given us no reason to trust that oh you know this guy just you all of a sudden he had this horrible record and was killed by people who wanted to buy marijuana from him. Right. And my thing is, I I can, I recognize, you know, JJ as my best friend that I've been working on everything not being so black and white. And so it's like, the truth is two black men could have driven from Louisiana and killed this man and the police be involved. Hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be either or. Hmm. The police have informants. The police have people who they can strong arm. It's very possible that two black men drove from Louisiana and killed this man. Hmm. And that the police know. And that the police, right? Like, all of that can and be there true. And things that they, they know and things that they know that are not sure. A hundred percent. And so for me, my takeaway from this is just like, once again, like, how we, how it is so, made so clear to us how devalued black life is Mm. whether that be for like lenient sentences for people that kill us whether it be longer sentences for petty crimes when it's a black person right Mm. like it's just like all of that points to the reminder that we are very disposable Mm -hmm. and i read an article today that i will link about since 2017 there's been five cops who have been convicted of murder which Mm. is like more than i would have thought in (laughs) dallas um and this is par for the course of the time that they serve Mm. and even that time is always like in protective custody right right? like it's just like such a like baby bird held in the hand of like okay we're gonna put you in jail but we're gonna make sure that like everything's okay and you you murdered someone and you would think in this uh, this is what was just so like mind-blowing to me you would think in 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 this particular situation, when she, you actually break into somebody's home, accident like even under the pretense that let's let's accept your accidental. And you, you thought know, it was your house. And you thought it was your house. Even then, it's still murder. Like he wasn't like out somewhere, and like right. he like you told him to stop and put his hands up, and he kept running. Right. You know that like you weren't you, even on duty. You weren't even on duty, and yet you still 
do not pay the full consequences because you're a police officer. Yep. That is right. that is like, so like, sad. Like what me. other job are we able to murder and be like, but I work in fashion. Mm. Like like and her being a police officer, like you said, had nothing to do with what was happening. Mm. You were off duty, he was he didn't break any laws, you were in his house, and then you didn't do the shit police officers are supposed to do once you shot him. There was no blood on you, which means you never tried to help him. Mm. Then you text your other off-duty friends and said, shit, I did something. Mm. You didn't even call the actual police who were working. So she didn't call 911? No, they did once they got there. Oh, my God. That's what I'm saying. This, and you know how I feel, this, like, mix of victimhood and villain that white women are allowed to have will be the end of us all. Yeah. Because the this tears, this would be so were... t- the judge got off the damn bench and hugged her. The black judge, the black gave her her personal Bible. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a Christian. <laughs> I want everyone to follow Christ, but he can, she can follow Christ in jail, she, and she can follow Christ without us just like hushing rockabye babying her because you murdered someone. His and baby, I'm and I'm sure that was the worst night of your life because now you have to come to terms with it. But to me, forgiveness and accountability are not mutually exclusive. Hmm. I can forgive you and you can still be accountable for something that you did that you can never come back from. Mm-hmm. And it, it pissed me off that it shifted the conversation when the when his when Botham John's brother hugged her. It shifted the conversation from accountability to now racial racial reconciliation and mm-hmm. forgiveness when that should not be our job. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't have been anybody's job to make her feel comfortable. You did the wrong thing to like take it up a little bit is that. Uh, yesterday, October 11th, so when you listen to this, it won't be yesterday, but um, was International Day of the Girl. So it's a UN, a United Nations supported um, day that focus that that helps us to focus the growth of girls around the world through advocacy, mentorship, and empowerment. Um, and what I like about days like this is that it really does bring about a necessary conversation about what we're doing to support um, underserved populations. And Georgetown recently came out with a study called Girlhood Interrupted, the Erasure of Black Girls' Childhood. And that the study told us what we already know, right? Which is that compared to white girls of the same age, uh, black girls are perceived to need less nurturing, need less protecting, less support, be comforted less, Black girls um, are seen to be more independent, know more about adult topics, and know more about sex. Um, so th- this study backed up what we know that, like, the world sees black girls specifically as a lot older than they are mm. and doesn't think that they need to be taken care of as children. Mm. I just think it's important as we try to, like... I'm trying to not have the if it's it's inevitable approach and trying to see like what I can do just as a solo human walking this planet to mm-hmm. uh, do better and to really do good for those around me. Um, and so we'll put this link, International Day of the Girl. If you haven't heard about it, you should read up on it. Because um, th- this is something we all know a girl, right? We all know a young girl. And those of us that weren't girls still know what it was like for girls next to us growing up. And so mm-hmm. um, I think it's just like an important cause to pay attention to. For sure. It's a good connection to our guests, which I'm super excited about. We have Joey Womack, who's the founder and CEO of Goody Nation, which is a community of good people using innovation to reduce some of the world's largest basic need inequality gaps. Uh, So if anyone can tell us how to do good, it's Joey. Mm -hmm. Yes. Come on back. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a lot of other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place and what we use to record your business. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
All right. So today we have Joey Womack, who is the founder and CEO of Goody Nation. Goody Nation is a community of good people using innovation to reduce some of the world's largest basic need inequality gaps, which obviously we need a lot of. So thank you, Joey. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for having me on here. Looking forward to having a, a dope yes. discussion. All right, let's dive in. I know we have a lot of questions for you. Yes. So I thought it would be a great joy for you to start us off um, by explaining the work you do as the founder director of Goody Nation and also the founder CEO of Amplifier for Good. Um, so obviously we can't help but notice that there were good everywhere. Both of those. <laughs> I feel <laughs> that you're doing good with both of those. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of start off with my life's purpose is to uh, equalize socioeconomic disparities all over the world. And so the, the the goal is to help one billion people with a B by the year 2039. I'm, I'm super serious about it. So that, that is displayed in a number of ways, um, primarily through Amplify for Good and, and through Goody Nation. And I'll kind of start with Amplify for Good. I think we're going to talk about Goody Nation um, for the majority of this conversation. But with Amplify for Good, it really sprung out of how Good Nation started and that companies wanted to hire us like large companies to do design thinking labs, um, hackathons and full scale innovation programs. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with Care USA, training some of their country leaders on innovation and entrepreneurship to solve problems within care mm -hmm. uh, globally. Uh, Google, Ford, Coca-Cola, uh, Atlanta's airport. And then with Goody Nation, we started out as a one-day hackathon to solve nonprofits' problems to two years later doing a social impact pre-accelerator. That is taking um, startup folks in the social impact uh, area and helping them go from idea to mm -hmm. pilot through a kind of unique model. And then finally, our latest initiative is the Intentionally Good Project where we're taking diverse-led startups and also social impact mm -hmm. startups that already have uh, a product or, or, or a working product and a little bit of money trying to get them to like a million dollars in revenue by connecting them to influencers, corporations for pilots, and then investors. This is all in the Atlanta area? Startup space in Atlanta? Yeah. So. Yeah, for now, for now, Atlanta. Cool. Yep. And I know um, uh, you told us that uh, this week, actually, you have some news coming out. So you, you, like you said, you wrapped up the first quarter of the project, and then you'll be releasing some insights from the intentionally good project. Um, you know how how the uh, workshops went, things that you learned from the entrepreneurs, um, insights that you'll be taking into the next um, uh, cohort, which I think starts in January. So can you can you kind of walk us through some of that? You know what what trends or insights that you gleaned this time? Ooh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm still trying to, trying to recover from this, these, these first, uh, 90 days or so. So a little bit of background. So again, we're, we're connecting these startups to corporations, influencers, and then investors. But before we do that, we actually have to assess how ready they are for it. And so, uh, as a part of it, we, in, in basically three and a half weeks, we got 125 applications, um, about a hundred of them um, came from African African American founders. Oh, that's awesome! Um, yeah, we and I can nerd out on data. That I mean, I just love <laughs> love numbers. I'm going to spare you from it right yeah, now. Maybe. Uh, but 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 generally, what I can what I can say, and then so so in, in September we we doing three different Saturdays, the last three Saturdays a month, we brought in investors to evaluate the startups. We brought in corporate innovators, and then we brought in influencers. And uh, just generally speaking, from a cohort perspective, mm -hmm. their, their three strongest kind of business categories were around the problem, their value proposition, and then the product. But their weakest areas, uh, as again, as determined um, by the uh, – and also the team, excuse me. But the weakest areas as determined by the evaluators were um, the market, the scale, and the investor exit. So that kind of tells us that. Diverse led founders, but in this in this case, particularly black founders, were good at, at, at building a team, at defining their problem with expertise in that area, mm -hmm. and then kind of building the product. But they were they had trouble in really understanding how to scale that problem across multiple markets, and then trying to figure out how to give them the investors their money back. Or said in another way, a lot of the problems that the black founders were 
focused on, there's not a lot of evidence of people of other companies getting bought out. Hmm. Well, I have a first question and then lead into. So I think it's it's interesting when I think about doing good, right? I often think about volunteer. And I often mm-hmm. think about volunteer work and it's just like this is the time where we're not thinking about money and we're not thinking about kind of like what we benefit and it's just out here doing good for others. So I would just love to hear how you were able to make that connection between doing good and still creating a business and being an entrepreneur. Yeah, you know, I kind of I kind of fell into it. I mean, even how I kind of got into the space. I mean, part of it is this is this calling that that I've had going back to my first really actually predated my first startup. But I started so so in college I pledged I'm alpha and I started to think uh, around 2011 why there are so many problems in this case with the black community systemic issues aside, right? Systemic issues aside, why are so many um problems still, despite all the massive amounts of, of money being poured and volunteer efforts. And so I kind of started to think about, or, or what I determined, one of the things that I determined was that we were inefficiently using our, our resources mm-hmm. as members of fraternities and sororities. And so, so like, for instance, I would get asked to do stuff like pick up trash along the side of a highway. And, you know, it's cool, right? <laughs> it's cool. I'm not going to knock anybody's a desire to do community service in that way. Well, actually, maybe I am not going to, but, <laughs> um, but I could do that when I was like six years old, right? Mm. Uh, I just think it wasn't a, the best use of my time and my talents and, and my resources. And so I started to think, and I kind of wrote, I wrote a blog post, and when it published it, maybe 30 people viewed it, right, on my personal mm. blog. Mm. And then three years later, or really two and a half years later, I came back to it with this hackathon for good. And so I'm all about, you know, kind of efficiently deploying our, our resources as a people yeah. um, to solve some of my problems. And, I mean, and my theory of change was, and this is really how you can build a company around it, is that it's, it's to a certain extent, it, it's, it's better to solve problems, these large companies and organizations um, that, it is, so they, that are already doing great work so they can continue to help people at a faster clip than it is to spring up something like a new nonprofit. We actually had, this was around the time of the whole Drake song, we actually had a, a kind of a hashtag called No New Nonprofits. And so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's an opportunity for people to build uh, social impact startups that serve large companies and nonprofits, again, that are focused on, you know, helping people. So I know a big thing that Goody Nation does and you do is help people and companies realize their purpose in the world. Um, so we would love for you to help us cause we don't know, like, how do you tell people to begin to think about the larger goal and purpose for their lives? Yeah. Yeah. And that was interesting. Um, I think it's a, it's a combination of, of three things and, and I, and I'll come back in a second. Just remind me if I kind of get lost, mm-hmm. but I do, cause I, I, I very rarely get an opportunity to share one of the ways that, that I got to like how worried about the cost of college. Miami University's Tuition Promise guarantees that the cost of your education will stay the same for four years. Learn more and apply today at miamioh.edu forward slash apply 2021. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. I shifted my mindset to help a billion people. Yeah. So um, long story short, I got into the what's called the Hive. That's like a beehive, like a Hive Global Leaders Program at MLK Weekend uh, 2014. It was the first ever cohort. And it was for social entrepreneurs. And the first day, the the uh, the, the founder of the program, Ryan Alice, he said, uh, and so you got to imagine, like, there's, th- there's 30 folks in a room. Uh, in this room, you have a gold medalist who swam on the, sw- the same swim team as Michael Phelps. You have a young lady from Nepal who's, whose father was a high-ranking government official there. She wanted to first become the first woman prime minister. Mm. My roommate out there... Um, one to become the prime minister of India. He was like 27, 28. So these are people with literally that like world changing ambitions yeah. and, and results. And so dude asked us how, you know, or he said, how can you impact change for a billion people? And so I'm a competitor, right? I'm a competitor. I'm like, well, how can I do it? Like at the time, I'm, I, at that point, I'm, I'm actually was focused on black people 
who are who are starters, who are founders of tech startups in the Southeast. I started doing the math. I'm like, I'll never get there. Mm. And so um, I'm like, you know, by that Monday, this was like a Saturday, by that Monday, I'd come up with a plan to help a billion people. And I found out later that he was actually talking about everybody in the room. How can we collectively help a billion people? And I'm like, well, it's too late. I got right, yeah, I already figured out myself, how right? I can do it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, and so there's an interesting thing, like uh, what's called empathy circles that I, I don't think a lot of people kind of know about. And it kind of starts off with how can you have empathy for like your family? And then you go from family to like neighborhood, from neighborhood to like region or race, and then race from like, like global and then global to like internet, like, 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 like uh, celestial basically um, or interstellar. And so what I realized, like, like, like theoretically, if, if aliens were to come to the U.S., could you actually have empathy for them? Right. And, but what I realized was that I could not get past the race to have empathy for everybody in the United States because I felt like the United States did not care about me as a black person. Mm-hmm. And so once I actually said it out loud to the other third, and I'm the only, there's one other sister there who's from Rwanda. Once I said it out loud to, out loud to them, like this weight lifted off my shoulder. And from that point forward, I was able to go from, from race to have empathy for people on a, on a global level. Now, as, as it relates to kind of purpose, I, one of the first things I'll say is for people to do that, like figure out what your empathy limit is and figure out, you know, why that is the case. But tact, and then tactically, I would say first or second, technically, um, understand what makes you upset in the world, right? What frustrates you, what gets you moving, what causes you to kind of stay awake at night. Secondly, think back to what you were like as a kid, like in elementary school before, like you had the pressures, hopefully you had pressures of the world, mm-hmm. you know, on your shoulders. You're trying to impress people. Once you get to like sixth grade, you know, you start to try to impress people like third, fourth grade. You could just go. You could just go as a kid. If you could intersect what you what makes you upset now versus I mean, with uh, what you were like as a kid, you're, you're well on your way to understanding your purpose. And then if you can, if you can. The third piece would be or the fourth piece would be around um, what your parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, basically people in your family are good at. What are their skills? And so um, because they're in you, too, whether you for the most part, whether you know it or not. And so if you can triangulate all those things, I think you'll be well on your way to um, understanding your purpose. One thing that I'm gleaning from everything that you're saying is that you are a a very, very uh, well-connected person, which I kind of knew already (laughs) um, inside and outside of Atlanta. Um, And I thought it would be good to have you give us some tips on how uh, young professionals can build a strong network. And, and I guess what's your personal secret to maintaining that network? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, you know, part of it is I do consider it part of it is natural, right? But I think one thing I can, I can, I can when I look at my mother and and also kind of try to look at myself in an unbiased way is that we tend and, and also look at other people that are that are like us. We tend to think of others first, even in a situation where we can benefit. We'll still think that how can how can this situation, how can this opportunity? benefit somebody else. And I think you, whenever you go into when you're meeting with somebody, if you one quickly understand their strengths, their values and their needs. Mm-hmm. And then when you encounter another situation, you know, being able to quickly, you know, mentally kind of bring, bring it up and kind of play matchmaker from person to opportunity. It really helps you to develop a network because people kind of see you as valuable at that point. Right. I do think it's kind of a natural skill, but you know, if you're always assessing someone's needs and then when you um, when you recognize an opportunity, your ability to kind of make those connections is, is critical to maintaining that network. Yeah. So every, so when you're reaching out and corresponding or asking for a favor, it's not just what this person can serve for me. It's like also how can this opportunity amplify what this person is doing? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also wanted to get in, into a little bit of tech. So 
you know, with uh, Goody Nation and the Intentionally Good Project uh, specifically, like I know that there are a lot of like specifically tech startups, right? Um, uh, that are uh, in the in the cohort, and a lot of the a lot of the companies that you named and that you work with, I know, are are tech companies, and so you know, like tech. Tech for good isn't something that we hear a lot, especially like right now. Um, so I guess, can you talk about like what you see as like, especially in 2019, like technology's capacity for being a force for good, you know, and how we can get closer to that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, so, so just generally speaking, I'd say, um, efficiency. Kind of going back to what I was, I was kind of mentioned earlier. Like I really, I'm really focused on creating efficient ecosystems. It actually pains me to see potential go unrealized. And so I think that technology has a unique opportunity and, and ability to close gaps quickly, but just just because it scales. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely around um, ecosystems, community matchmaking. I'm so, I, so in Atlanta, probably the hottest tech startup is Gooder. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, they'll I mean, uh, Jasmine Crow, Jasmine Crow, she'll say, you know, um, hunger is not a, a matter of, of food. It's more so as a matter of logistics, basically matching up um, someone with surplus food or excess food, somebody with a deficit. And I think it's the same way across a bunch of different areas. F- obviously, food is one, but health, you know, obviously money, education tools, are, you know, all supplies, all kind of things. It's a matter of logistics. And I think technology um, has the extreme opportunity to want to help people understand yeah. um, the logistical need and also actually make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the second part of it, and so I was just recently, so, so Color of Change recently had an event here in Atlanta with Facebook and they were talking about how that's kind of surprising. <laughs> oh, what, I'm they, sorry, what do you they call they call out Facebook a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that was crazy because we had this this event and Cheryl Sandberg was there. There may have been a hundred people in the room, mm-hmm. and so they're doing the event with Facebook and their executives were there. And to Facebook credit, they stood up and they answered the questions because those panelists and color change were not holding back. Like they were calling. I'm assuming Facebook sponsored it or whatever, but they were calling them out, and Facebook was responding. It's, it's it's a room of hundred people. Like it's, it was pretty interesting and with reporters. And so one thing that they were um, highlighting um, is this piece around artificial intelligence. And then the, basically it was around the civil rights, the intersection of civil rights and tech. And so as, as people are doing more nefarious things online, especially around, you know, election interference and hate speech. Yeah, we and so, about so some of that earlier in the episode. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just, you know, Facebook answer to it is to build more more artificial intelligence tools, right. right? And so, you know, the thing is, who's building the tools? And so, if they're input putting their unconscious bias into the building of artificial intelligence, the artificial intelligence has unconscious bias, you know. And then, for people of color specifically or other marginalized groups in tech, it's just a bad situation all around. Um. So, I wanted to ask about corporate social responsibility. So I work in corporate and have worked slash currently work for companies who throw that word around a lot, almost <laughs> like a buzzword, but it feels like we just slap some rainbows on for Pride Month and then call it a day. And right. so um, I would like to just hear your expert opinion on like what companies are missing in making CSR an authentic part of their DNA rather than just something that we throw in because it's popular right now um the authentic part (laughs) honestly i mean i think it it boils down to sense of urgency and it's weird because and i say for like my 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 good friends over at engage will tell you that companies that corporations will you know they spend 99 percent of their time playing defense versus startups playing 99 percent of their time that they play offense right and Mm -hmm. so um it's hard to have in this this sense of urgency around creating impact because honestly like and i said this before like like i tweeted this out like i'm going to build like a do a hackathon to build this clock quote unquote that that shows every minute every hour that goes by how much somebody is suffering and so for me my thing is 
we have to outpace or I have to outpace how many people are going hungry, how many people are falling behind as it relates to economic development and wealth and, you know, so on and so forth and or name the the uh, the social impact metric. And I feel like large companies are OK with moving at a glacial pace. And so there is not this, the overall sense of urgency from a company culture standpoint. You may have some people that care, but not from an overall company standpoint around solving the problem. They look, I, I, I feel, I feel as if many companies look at it as a exercise in PR than mm-hmm. actually solving the problem. And I, so I, so I think C, you know, CSR, um, you know, re- departments can, can help to create a culture around urgency for these, uh, these social problems, no matter what they are. And once you do that, you'll start to <clears throat> start to see them, them change sooner yeah. than later. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, Joey, I know that you you have a lot of like corporate sponsors and partners. Um, I mean, Atlanta is home to like all kinds of big companies, um, uh, Home Depot, uh, Experian. Uh, so I know that you have you have like a lot of um, uh, you have to you have to navigate that world a lot. And so, you know, once once you know that an organization is like interested in doing some good in the world and like you have. Um, a project or a vision that you, you know, could use their help or their resources in it. And this could, this advice could go for like, a, a, you know, an investor or other smaller partner too. But what advice do you have for folks like anybody out there who wants to learn how to get people to like buy into their vision and like, see, okay, like I, I see what you're trying to do and I'm going to lend you this, you know, this, donation or the space to use, you know, for your event or, you know, some of my employees pro bono. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll say this and humans believe in humans period. When it, investment of any type, whether it's financial, whether it's social, whether it's a dollar or 10 million humans believe in human beings. So actually I think for people of color, particular black people, like by nature, Many of us are good storytellers, right? Mm-hmm. And so then how can you, how can, in, in that, you know. Wait, wait, break that down for me. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I'm not saying literally every single person, but I think it's, it's kind of within our DNA. Like we're good at expressing ourselves, whether right. it's through paint, spoken word, rap, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many other, many dance, many other ways, right? So I think mm-hmm. leverage those innate skills within us to tell a good story in order to get people to believe in us. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, tactically, they're going to believe in your team. And so that's just not you as a startup founder. It's the other people um, that you work with. Not only the people that are working like the management team, but also the service providers, so on and so forth. And then you align that with, the problem you're working on. I think it, like you, you nail the team and the problem, everything else flows from there. Like if, if the other person on the end of that call or that meeting believes in the team and they really, um, really believe in that problem, it's maybe it's, it, it's a personal thing for them. The thing the, the floodgates are open. I think the larger thing, the larger point I'm making here is that many, when I see many black founders, we don't start companies around stuff that we know is stuff that we love. And that's cool. That's cool. That's good advice. But you are. So, you know, when it comes to the love piece, you have to build your expertise around it. If not, you're going to have a hard time getting people to quote unquote, invest in you. Unless you're such an amazing story, like elite level storyteller, it's going to be difficult to get traction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so last question from me, I want to talk about you a little bit, because I know um, that burnout from social work, caregiving, all of that, thinking about all the suffering in the world is a very real thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so how do you make sure that you take care of your own mental health, take care of yourself while you're also still focusing on how many people are hungry? Yeah, yeah, it's tough, right? Um, <laughs> and I've been slightly burned out recently, slightly. But that being said, so 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 for it, it's a mindset thing. I'll say that. I'll say this: it's a mindset piece. And so again, I'm from Alabama. I love like University of Alabama football more so. I like Nick Saban, and so he's a big thing on um, the, what he calls the process. And so 
is basically it's amounts to just living in the moment. Don't focus on what's outside of you or don't focus on the future. Focus on the step in front of you. Take that next step. Be great in doing that next step and then focus on taking another step. Do great at that, then make then focus on the next step and the next step and the next step. Because once you start to kind of focus on all the external stuff, which at the end of the day really doesn't impact your decision in that moment, hmm. you can start to get flustered. And then start stuff yeah. starts to kind of stuff start Snowball. snowballs on you exactly. And yeah. so um, you know, focus on the moment. And it, and it takes a lot of discipline to do that. Trust me. Hmm. It's not a thing that that most people in this world now you can learn it. But most people aren't good at it. And so another quote, he'll, one thing he said is also, you know, do you want the pain of discipline or do you want the pain of disappointment? you got to have pain one way or the other. Right. So if you can, so if you can train yourself to, to, to be in the moment, not let external stuff, you know, kind of get on your back and hold you down. That's how you got to think you start to avoid some of that burnout um, and, and kind of be um, impactful on a consistent basis. That's great, Joy. We appreciate your time and um, we'll have to have you on again one day in the future. I look forward to it. Let's go be great. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We're not doing enough. Let's do more. (laughs) Joey taught us that. All right. Let's get to our last segment, which is learn, loved, canceled, LLC. Um, I have a learned and a loved. Cool. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to do learn first and maybe you do yours first and then we end on love because I like when we do that. Okay. Okay. So my learned is that climate change is increasing our carb intake. Okay. I love (laughs) articles like this. So this was in Mother Jones. Um, I love articles like this that just like connect to things that we wouldn't think about. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in psychology or in uh, research and analysis, which my masters is in they always have this uh study that they reference where it's like murders an increase in murders is connected to an increase in ice cream sales like why right because it it helps you figure out that like correlation does not cause cause is not causation which means like ice cream isn't sales and ice cream aren't going up because people are being murdered but the thing that correlates those two is heat is that it's summer, oh, I, right? Okay, so uh-huh. I like okay. Yes, I see. The- so that is like how a researcher's mind works, mm-hmm. and so that's what I love about this is like climate change is increasing our carb intake. Aren't two things that we think about until we figure out the research that puts them together. So what the study is saying, or what the article was saying, is that climate change is causing us to have more carbon dioxide in the air. More carbon dioxide in the air means that plants are synthesizing differently to affect for the lack of oxygen. So they synthesize more carbs, including starches and sugars, which are then stored in the plant. Because, you know, plants are super adaptable. They're going to grow regardless. Mm -hmm. They're just going to change how they take in what they're given. Mm -hmm. And so because of this, more carbon in the air means that we have more carbohydrates in plants. And then these carbs are diluting the other benefits of the plants, like the vitamins and minerals that we expect from mm. plants. So the spinach that we're eating is way less nutrient-rich than the spinach of 10 years ago. That's so depressing. So scary, <laughs> right? And then the only thing that can fix it, right, because carbon... It's all just burning. Everything's burning. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter if you eat vegetables or not at this thanks, point. Thanks, thanks Shana. Just eat fries. I thought fries. I was doing better. Yeah, but, just you know. eat fries thanks. because you're eating carbs even in your vegetables. Um, this is the really scary part that got me is the only thing that can fix it because we're not seeing climate change slow down and carbon emissions slow down is regenerative farming practices. So that's adding minerals to soil, uh, which then means that there's just like nothing organic anymore. Like everything that we yeah, eat, if we it's going to be, we know this is one of your causes. It is. If it's going to be healthy, it's going to be because we injected it with something man-made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but what do you expect after for decades, we've just been in, injecting artificial things. It's so and the organic. But, stuff. but what scares me about that is that how much out of control, out of my control that is, because, you know, I'm very even to a fault specific about what I put in my body as far as food is concerned. I've experienced. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like when I go out here, even if I'm at 
what scared me about this is even if I'm growing my own vegetables, we used to think that was the secret, right? Mm -hmm. Have your own garden. Then, you know, there's no pesticides, but it's about the soil and the air. Mm -hmm. So even if you're, even if you're getting like a mineral rich soil, it's taking carbon dioxide out of the air. You can't get your own air. Mm. You can't get your own water. Yeah. It has a, that, that deficit has to come from somewhere. And it's our health. So you're welcome. <laughs> this week, I'm canceling um, the Trump administration. Surprise, surprise. Um, because. So the the Supreme Court is currently considering. I don't even think you need a because. <laughs> <laughs> right. For, well, for, for all well, the reasons. Right. But here's one. But this, is the, this is the one I'm choosing this week. Right. <laughs> um, particularly because it applies to me. Uh, so. The Supreme Court this week um, has been considering whether the Civil Rights Act protects LGBT workers. Um, so on Tuesday, uh, it said, uh, this is from the New York Times, the Supreme Court struggled to decide whether a landmark 1964 civil rights law um, bars employment discrimination based on sexual orientation and transgender status. <clears throat> So basically, the argument is whether the if, civil if, if they're human beings that deserve any decent correct, <laughs> um, okay. and the, and the argument that that um, that they're trying to decide on is whether or not in 1964 the meaning of sex when it comes to you know the 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 line that explicitly you cannot discriminate based on sex if that includes um, sexuality and gender. Uh, identity and not just like male, male or female. Supreme Court, don't you have other things to focus on? But here's the thing: now this, we know that Trump has basically stole a Supreme uh, Court appointee, and now because of uh, the retirement of uh, Anthony Kennedy, you know he was able to appoint another one, uh, Neil Gorsuch, and so now the the court is, um, you know, slanted more than ever in a long time toward conservative decisions this kind of like persecution like we we're fortunate enough here to kind of have some guardrails against it where it has to go to the, to the supreme court and be decided on and we do have uh organizations like the aclu and we do have a a, a democratically controlled uh uh house of representatives but in places like uganda <laughs> which I read this week is actually resurrecting this bill to kill the gays. It's not so right. You know, it's like literally like, it's literally death. like you could be gay and be found out and possibly be killed at like, at a whim. because I'm curious about the, about how the history of whiteness affects so many things that we have to deal with. I also found out uh, and, and did some more research about how a lot of these anti-gay laws and places like in other African countries like <laughs> Uganda were started by, you know, this same kind of white evangelical oppression that colonizers had, you mm -hmm. know, when they came into Uganda and like, and tried to establish British rule in the name of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is still, so not only like, did you conquer, you know, black people and like took over their country and like, you know, had to be ousted or whatever. But you also left behind like a, a history of like a legacy of, of raging homophobia that gets people murdered and maimed. Yep. So, yeah. Sounds about Thanks right. Thanks for that. All right. Let's do our loves <laughs> now so we can pick it back up. Um, so my love this week was an Instagram that I've been following for a while, but honestly, she's just been speaking to me recently. Um, it's called Notes from Your Therapist. Mm. I'm going to put the link, but um, she posted something this week. You know, I've been honest with you and everyone about my therapy journey. And, like, EMDR has really uh, brought up a lot. It's hard for anyone mm. who wants to try it. It's hard. Uh, be ready. But um, it it digs up a lot. And as we know, once you shake things up, then they're shaken. Mm -hmm. And so it's like... There's things that have been dormant in my brain for 32 years that are getting shaken up for the very first time. And so there's a lot of anxiety around that. But there's also a lot of um, gratitude for the fact that I'm in a place where I can do that now. And it's like I'm not on my deathbed trying to figure out these things. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the posts that she did this week said, 
I did not even know it was possible for relationships to feel secure even when someone is upset. And that still scares me to death a little. And it's those kind of things, right? Like that's the kind of things that she posts or things that are things that we have thought or struggled with. Um, and she just like writes them out and it's very helpful. And there was another one. Was that helpful to you because you're seeing someone who you really like? Stop it. (laughs) We're editing that. Um, then she has another one that was like, I was just coming by to say, if I love you, I love you on your cranky, irritable, hopeless days too. You're a little annoying, but it's okay. So am I. So that was my love this week. And my love is a new show on Netflix called Raising Dion. Um, It started out as a comic book, actually, and it was um, picked up by Michael B. Jordan, who I believe is the executive producer and also has um, um, uh, a recurring role in the show. He's not the main character at all, but he has a recurring role in the show. And it's about um, a young... Uh, boy who is about eight or nine. He's super young. Um, maybe not even that old. Six, seven, eight. I don't um, know how old kids are. I'm like so either. removed from kids. I'm like, he's seven. And it's like, but, no, he's three. <laughs> but he's this little cute black kid who is discovering that he has superpowers. Mm, I heard about this. Yeah. And so Michael B. Jordan's character plays his father who mysteriously, um, died and so now his mom is like this single black mother raising a little black kid who's learning that he has superpowers Mm -hmm. and it is fascinating like it i mean it has just some pacing issues but most netflix shows do um Mm -hmm. but i will say that this kind of like origin story where you're getting to see like i mean what else are you seeing on tv a young black kid like we, because we see it with like white superheroes all the time. We've seen like Superman, you know, be a kid and like I don't know, accidentally kill a cow or something on on the farm in Kansas, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and kind of come to grips with like this amazing power. But so rarely have we seen that kind of portrayal of this like little black kid who's also discovering things about the world and simultaneously discovering that he can like fly and teleport and move things with his mind um with, with this how does his power. mom respond though because i always feel like a black mom would be like oh the right. devil <laughs> well that's the thing her that is part of what what i have loved so much about the episodes is that her struggle is inter intermingled with having to do this on her own mm-hmm. you know and so you feel you feel her immense burden of you know, what it's already like for a lot of black mothers to um, raise black sons when, you know, the father is not there for a, a, a number of multitude of potential reasons. They might have been locked up by this country's industrial prison complex, but that's not the issue. Um, um, but you feel that that worry and concern for her and, and protecting and raising her black son compounded with what happens if people found find out that my child has superpowers? Right. You know, what if he hurts somebody? Or right. What if the government? Yeah, like, being a black boy without superpowers is already exactly. Scary. And so she's just so protective of him. And I'm only like on the second episode, but you already can kind of see like how to how it's setting up and like showing um, this just a compounded nature of being a young black kid growing up in America, plus being something that, you know, people will likely want to experiment on and harm mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. and, and test, you know, and exploit. My favorite scene so far is, so this, this kid, that's the other thing I like so much about it, that it, it seems like it should be like far off and fantastical, mm-hmm. but really what, like it's best when it like allows you to see what we, have kind of a term we've kind of driven into the ground at this point but black boy joy Mm -hmm. and like again like things that you see like little white kids able to kind of just live carefreely through the world exhibiting but he has this moment where they're outside and he like runs to chase a squirrel and because his mom is talking to him and he's like oh squirrel so he just like darts off and starts running Mm -hmm. he's a tiny kid and so the squirrel jumps up into a tree and he like 
jumps up too. Jumps up too to get the squirrel and ends up like teleporting up, up into this tree, like mm-hmm. thirty feet off the ground. And she's like, "What? What?" Like, and then, and then she just goes. She sees her child in this like stuck on this branch, and she goes into like she snaps into pant like mother must protect my child mode, mm-hmm. and you see her having like because he also has asthma, so he starts having an asthma attack. Oh in the gosh. Tree. So you see her like just snap into this black mama. I gotta go get my baby mo, and mm-hmm. she like goes to find the ladder, and she like she has she's clearly afraid of heights, mm-hmm. but she like climbs up to the you know to the top of this tree to get to get her son, and it's just like a really beautiful moment. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I like when we end on loves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it for us this week. Thank you guys for coming back. Yeah, Please check to Joey Womack. show notes. And thank you, Joey. And follow us on social, Twitter and Instagram at YoBusinessPod. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. And follow me on Twitter, JJ McCorvey. Yeah, he's verified. JJ M-C-C-O-R-V-E-Y. I never tweet, so don't worry about me. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.